Welcome to New Testament Talk, the podcast that talks about the first century revelation of God and how it continues to impact us in the 21st century. I am your host, Pastor Fred Roberts. Grab your Bible and join me as we talk about life in the New Testament. Okay, so Acts chapter 4, we find in the Christian realm that by this point in the book of Acts, the battle lines are forming. If you, if you think of Christian kind of life and experience as a warfare, and really there is a sense that Christian life is a warfare. It's not a warfare in the sense that like the Crusades, but Christians do have to consider that we are in a battle against spiritual wickedness. And certainly the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, does not want the work of Christ to succeed. He does not want the work of Christ to be effective. And just like he fought against Jesus, and just like the enemies of Christ um, were evident then, they will be evident um, now, and we will see them being evident in the book of Acts as we study along. Now, last week we talked about kind of the beginnings of persecution. The beginnings of persecution began, it, it was very mild to say the least, but it was definitely there. Um, you know, so what happened was the layman <clears throat> was healed. And that showed us, first of all, the power in Jesus' name. Um, and there is power in Jesus' name. I believe, I really believe, that a person who comes to Christ can have victory in their life no matter what the issue is. I think that a drunkard can, can have victory over the sin of alcohol if they come to Christ. I think the drug addict can have victory over that. And, you know, I, I'm in the medical profession. I know all the arguments that it's, you know, that it's a physical uh, addiction. It's a dependence that your body actually develops. Look, I understand all that. But Christ is more powerful than drugs and drinking. Um, Jesus can give us victory over it. And there's power in Jesus' name. It also showed the impotence of religion. You know, all these people mean well. I don't, I don't think for a moment that all these churches are started because these people, you know, are you know, just little diabolical people that are trying to accomplish evil. I think that all these churches get started because they mean well. But the reality is that without Christ, religion is impotent. It cannot accomplish anything. They're not going to be able to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish because without Christ, there's no hope. If you're trying to do it in the flesh, <laughs> it's going to be useless. Jesus himself made the statement. He said, without me, ye can do nothing. And so... The reality is that religion is powerless. It's impotent. It is incapable of accomplishing anything. And that's what was shown by the healing of the lame man. Then we had the preaching of the gospel. That Peter stood up and he preached the gospel to the people. And this does many things. First of all, it exalts Jesus. You know what? Jesus need to be, needs to be exalted. He needs to be one lifted up. They said, look, it's not us. We don't have any holiness. We don't have any power in us. 
It's by the name of Jesus Christ that this man was able to walk. And we need to lift up Christ. Christ is exalted when the gospel is preached. It exposes our guilt. He pointed out how, to the people how that they were the ones that turned on Christ and cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They chose Barabbas. Even though Pontius Pilate wanted to release Jesus, the people that were there chose Barabbas, a murderer, rather than Jesus. And, you know, and it just points out our guilt. You know what? There's no holding back. He doesn't sugarcoat it whatsoever. He just lets it, you know, points out exactly what it was. And you know what? That's going to be true with the preaching of the cross. With the preaching of the, of the gospel, people's guilt are just going to be, it's going to be laid open. Um, Jesus uh, was uh, speaking and, and he made the mention. He said, you know, if I had not come... They would have had no sin. But he says now they have no cloak for their sin. And, and he, just, he just said now their sin is evident. And that's what's going to happen with the preaching of the gospel. It also explains the one way of salvation. There is only one way. There's only one way to get to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And as he said, no man gets to the Father but by him. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they are, um, <laughs> you know, the most religious person you can find. You know, God's not going to allow them an exception. It doesn't matter. There is one way. And it's for everyone. Yeah. There's one way for the poor. There's one way for the rich. There's not multiple ways. It's one way. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're American or Hindu or, uh, well, Hindu is not a uh, nationality, but Indian you know, it doesn't matter if they are, you know, you know, what color of skin they are. It doesn't matter. Socioeconomic, you know, class doesn't matter. There's not one, one way for communists and one way for capitalists. I mean, it's all the same. There's one way. And preaching the gospel points that out. Then we saw the threatening by the authorities. They threatened the disciples. And they did it on purpose. Uh, they said, when they were talking amongst each other, they said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll threaten them and command them not to preach in that name. And preach and teach, or te I think it said teach. Teach in that name. You know, so they, the threat was very obvious. They, they, weren't, they weren't playing around. And I don't believe that the apostles thought they were playing around. <laughs> I think they understood the threat right away. Remember, these were the very people that crucified Jesus. They knew the threat was real. They understood that. They got that, you know, clear message. These people were the ones that crucified Christ. These people had the power to make life miserable for the apostles. They had the power. Uh, by the way, you know, the authorities now, they have the power to make life miserable uh, for Christians. You know, you go to other countries where they are actually persecuting Christians, like China. Um, North Korea, you know, places like that. You know what? You find out real quick. They have the power. They can do it. They understood their situation. But in spite of all those things, we find that because of those things, the greatness of Christians was revealed. The greatness that Christians have access to was revealed. Now, I've, I've titled this sermon Christian Greatness, and I want to be clear it's not about 
people. It's not about Peter and John. It's not about the 120, well, it was actually more than that at this point. It's not about the, the people of the church of Jerusalem that we're talking about. The greatness was not in and of themselves. There's a greater greatness that's found in the Holy Spirit working in them and through them to accomplish God's will. So I want that to be clear. And I, you know, when I make the statement Christian greatness, I, you know, I'm afraid that people will think that I'm just talking about the, the Christians themselves. And there's no greatness in us. The greatness is only because Jesus comes through us. Okay, The work that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian can produce these, this greatness um, in their life. So I have several things. Um, I forgot to count, so I'm not going to take the time to count it, but I think it's like seven points on the Christian greatness. First of all, we see here that they had great submission. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. You know, they were threatened. They were warned against preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. But in spite of that, they went back to church. <laughs> they went back to church. Time would fail to get into all the doctrines of what exactly is church. But basically, it's the people. It's the people uh, who are born again uh, in an assembly, uh, gathered together. Um, as we say, saved, baptized members of New Testament Church at Jerusalem. <laughs> they, were, they were the ones that were the church. Um, so these were the believers of Christ. These were the followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ. Um, the, actually, they weren't even called Christians yet, but these were them. They went back to those of their own company, it says. They went back to church. The church is the New Testament institution for the service of God. It's the New Testament church that is the institution that God has set up to do his work in this age. Think about in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, after they had built the temple, even prior to that, how could a person worship God? How could a person serve God? How could someone bring their sacrifices and do you know, the, the things that they were required to do under the Old Testament. Well, the only way they could do it was in the institution of first the tabernacle and then the temple, which replaced the tabernacle. That was the only way they could do it. The only way they could offer their, their sacrifices, the only way that they could take care of their sin issues, the only way that they could do uh, their peace offerings and their, their free will offerings and all those type of things was to go to temple they had no other means of the service and worship of the lord no other means and the same thing's true today it's the new testament church that is the institution for serving god now we don't come to church to worship god christians don't go to church to worship god you go to church because you worship god you go to church in order to serve the lord I mean, church is for the purpose of serving, to accomplish the work that Christ started. And the reason why we do that is because we worship the Lord. <laughs> That's why we do it. 
uh, Jesus himself said, you're, you know, it's not in this mountain or yet in Jerusalem that people serve or worship. And uh, says, God wants you to worship in spirit and in truth. Um, so worship nowadays is not about going someplace. True worship is about continually worshiping the Lord. I worship the Lord, therefore I do what I do. You know, out of my worship for the Lord, I read my Bible. Out of my worship for the Lord, I pray. Out of my worship for the Lord, I go to church. So the New Testament church is not for worship, but it is for service. You don't find any place in the Bible where serving God is done outside of a church. I mean, here was Peter and John. These were the two remaining apostles who were in the inner circle. Now, in case you don't know what that means, is if you study the Gospels, there were layers of, what, what is the, the term that I'm looking for? Access to Jesus. All right, they were layers. So you had this huge crowd of disciples, and these disciples followed Jesus around. Okay? And that was the first level of access to Jesus. Then you had the apostles, the 12 apostles. And so you had a multitude of disciples, but you had 12 apostles. And they were with Jesus all the time. They were everywhere Jesus went. They went with him. That wasn't true of the disciples. The, you know, the disciples were only with Jesus when he was in their area. You know, so they, when he would come through their area, then they would come out to spend time with Jesus, to see him, to hear him, to minister to him, whatever. But that wasn't true of the 12 apostles. They were with him all the time. Well, I say all the time. There were certain times that they, were, they weren't allowed to go, that only three people were allowed to go. We call this the inner circle. Uh, for instance, going on to the Mount of Transfiguration, there were only three, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were permitted to go where even the other apostles weren't permitted to go. So Jesus would tell the other apostles, you guys stay here. I, Peter, James, and John are going to go to the Mount of Transfiguration or go into the back room where the, the uh, the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus had died. It was only Peter, James, and John who were allowed to go with Jesus to healing of that dead, dead little girl. They actually went everywhere with Jesus. All right, so they were in the inner circle, and every there was no secret meetings that Jesus had that they weren't part of. Um, even though the apostles went with everywhere with Jesus, they didn't get to see the Mount of Transfiguration, but Peter did, John did. Now James was was uh, uh, killed kind of early on, but here were Peter and John. These were two of the inner circle. But you find that they don't just take it upon themselves to do this ministry. What do they do? As soon as they get done being threatened by the authorities and they get done with this work of healing the lame man and, and accomplishing all that they're going to accomplish, what do they do? They come back to the local church and they report back to them. It says here in verse 4, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. They reported back to the church. You see... There is a truth in being submitted to a local church. 
everybody should be a part of a local New Testament church. I know that's our name, but I'm not saying our name. I mean a true lo local New Testament church that is in their community that they are serving Christ through. I believe that every Christian should be a member of a local New Testament church. I believe that every Christian should serve God through a local New Testament church. Personally, I don't believe that you can do any service truly outside of a local New Testament church. I don't believe in parachurch organizations. I don't think they're scriptural. I don't believe in like uh, giving money to um, this, that, or that, whatever. You know, I don't send money to preachers on the radio. I don't send money even to missionaries unless I send it through a local New Testament church. I mean, I think that all service for the Lord should be done through the auspices of a local New Testament church. Because Jesus promises to meet where two or three are gathered together. He doesn't promise to go with an individual. He doesn't promise to be, uh, you know, we don't have popes, we don't have prophets, we don't have, you know, these, these key figures that are leading everything. You know, that's not what the Bible sets up. The Bible sets up churches. The believers get together, and the Holy Spirit guides and directs the church to accomplish the Lord's will. That's what I believe. You know, when, when we get organized and we start having, you know, business meetings, you know, we're going to have uh, the men of the church get together and, and discuss, you know, the direction that we need to go and the allocation of monies and the, the um, you know, getting of missionaries and all those things. And the Lord, through the congregation, will direct what, what, what he wants to be done in the church, in, in this area. Um, so even Peter and John submitted themselves to the church. And after they were threatened, they went and they reported all that God had done and all that occurred. This great submission is what we're talking about. It wasn't just them. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke into love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. If anything, in today's day, we need to be more in church, <laughs> um, not less. You know, this is one of the things that I, I really struggle with, with this current attitude of isolation and everybody staying home and stuff like that. You know, as we get closer to the day of the Lord's return, the, the times are going to get more difficult, more wicked. You know, G, you know, the Bible talks about there being a great falling away. You know, Jesus was talking about, you know, that, you know, the times are going to be like that of Noah, <laughs> And, you know, Noah's day was wicked. It was wicked. In fact, it was so wicked that God, it repented God that he'd even made man. You know, and that's saying something. God, who is, who is patient, love, he's merciful. And the wickedness of man was so bad that he was just sorry that he'd even made, created man. And, but that's what the day is going to become. And it's slowly becoming I mean, as time progresses, you know, there was a period of time when Christians truly believed that 
society was getting better. <laughs> that society was, was getting better and better and that you know, Christianity was, was slowly overcoming the wickedness of the world and, and we, were, we were going to you know, overcome and eventually get to the point where, where Christianity was, was so prevalent that you know, Jesus would just step out of heaven and be welcomed on earth as, as king and master and lord. And that's what they thought. And so that they even had songs that talked about you know, bringing in the kingdom and, and stuff like that. And that's just not the way the Bible points it out. The boy, Bible points it out that there's going to be a decline, a falling away, um, this, this gradual move of, of society away from God, away from the things of God. And, and isn't that what we see in culture now? I mean, you know, there was a day once in America when uh, every day at school they would, they would have prayer. There was once a day like that. There was once a day when you could go and, and uh, take your Bible to school. <laughs> I mean, that was actually permitted. Now, you could take your, your Koran. You could take your uh, Satanic Bible. I mean, I had classmates that took their Satanic Bible to, to school. And, you know, they were permitted. That, you know, even you know, celebrated to a sense. Um, but, uh, you know, you take your Bible and, and you're a troublemaker. You, 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 you're just, you know, causing trouble. And, you know, how dare you do this? And how dare you infringe upon my, my freedom of religion, you know? And, and they, they do that. Why is that happening? It's because society's not getting better and better. Society's not getting closer to the Lord. It's getting further away. So if that's true, then this verse that says that we should be going to church... <laughs> um, so much the more, as you see the day approaching, you know what? We need more fellowship with believers, not less. We need more time uh, of spending with people who are followers of the Lord, certainly not less. The less we spend, the more we're going to be influenced by the world and be drawn away from the Lord. So we need church more now um, than we ever did before. But not only that, we're talking about being submitted to the church. All the apostles submitted themselves to a local body of believers. In Acts chapter 15, we have the first fellowship meeting of churches. And what happened was um, the apostle Paul was uh, preaching and getting Gentiles saved. And then some Christians from Jerusalem came up to these churches and they started telling the Gentiles that they had to get circumcised and start to follow the law of Moses. That they really weren't going to, to um, have a true salvation if they didn't get circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And the, the Apostle Paul's like, no, that's not right. That's not scriptural. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And so there's this huge um, disagreement. And so... The church at, I believe it was at Antioch, said, well, we need to figure this out. We can't just, you know, you say this and they say this. We've got to find out what, what we're supposed to, to do. And so they appointed Paul and um, Barnabas to go back to Jerusalem with these, uh, these other people um, to find out, you know, where they were going to stand. What are we going to do here? And so they went back. 
And so these church planters come in and they gathered the whole congregation of the church at Jerusalem, which was a huge number, by the way. And it says that the 12 were there. So you had the 12 apostles. And it specifically mentions that James was there, who is the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. He became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Which was amazing because supposedly Peter was like the bigwig. <laughs> but uh, Peter, uh, he was not the head of the church of Jerusalem. James was. And you read the, the book of Acts, you'll see it plainly. You know, Peter is always deferential to James. He, he is, you know, secondary, you know. James gets the last word in this, this meeting. And so they discuss it all. Of course, they, they agree that, you know, you can't force the Gentiles to follow the law, that they were saved just like everybody else, you know, they were saved by the blood of Christ and, and the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and all that. So they rehashed all that and then they had their agreement. So here's Peter and the 12 apostles submitting to the church here in Jerusalem. Not only that, but the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he was called by God to go and start churches, but he wouldn't do it until the Holy Spirit directed the church to send him out. He was in submission to the church about going out and preaching the gospel. Not only that, but when he got done in Acts chapter um, 14, when he got finished with that, he came back to Antioch, and it says this, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So he came back and he gave report to the church. By the way, that's what we still do today. We send out a missionary. They go for three, four years, whatever the, the term of their you know, visa demands. Um, some countries it's six years, some countries it's as long as you want. But you know, usually every three to four years they come back from the foreign fields and they give report to the churches that are supporting them. Um, they send letters. I mean, by the way, I send a letter uh, to uh, the church here in, in, in Bennington uh, giving report of what God's doing in the work here. You know, because we are in submission to the church. Um, to God's people. That is the key. Um, it's not one person just going and doing their own thing. You know, like, you hear this every once in a while. An evangelist goes off, and, and for whatever reason, they think that they can just do you know, anything that they want. And that's not true. You know, Jim Jones, that was not Jim Jones, what was his name? Pat Jones? He would go and he would, he would sing country western music in the, the bars and stuff like that on Saturday night. You know, with the smoking and the drinking crowd. And then on Sunday morning, he would stand up and preach and sing and, and he'd baptize people in their, their you know, <laughs> their... Is it Pat Boone? Is it Pat Boone? I can't remember what his name is. Anyway, but he would... Pat Boone sounds right. He would baptize them in their swimming pools and all this kind of stuff. You know, like he had the authority to do all that. And that's not the way the Bible sets it up. They had great submission. 
They submitted themselves to the Lord. They submitted themselves to the people of God in the New Testament church. Not only that, they had great power, or great prayer, sorry. Verse 24. <clears throat> great prayer. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do what's over thy hand, and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. So they had great prayer. You know, <laughs> the first thing that they do when they, they hear this report of the threat against the apostles, they pray. They pray. You know, they didn't wring their hands. They didn't get on the phone to their representatives. They didn't, you know, they didn't go out to the street and hold up signs. I mean, none of that. They went to the Lord. They went to the Lord. Um, you know, churches today get involved in so many things that they should not be involved in. Um, it's not the church's function to correct social inequities. That's not the church's job. That's not our job. You know what? You want to correct the social inequities? Get people saved. I, I really believe that. You know what? If we got people saved, um, there'd be less criminals. You know, if we got people saved, the police officers would be more compassionate. I mean, it solves both problems. You know what we have in society? So we have this, this back and forth, back and forth. You know, one side says that, well, the police are abusing their power. And then you have the police saying, well, no, it's because of all these criminals that are doing all the wicked stuff. And you know what? Both sides have a point. And both sides are wrong. <laughs> That's the reality of it. And politics are never, it's never going to solve that. Human rationale, human reasoning will never fix that problem. But you get somebody saved, and all of a sudden they are on fire for the Lord. They love the Lord. They surrender to him. They're doing his will. You know what? That person's not going to be high on drugs and meth and, you know, passing counterfeit bills and not going to be doing all these criminal things. And when the police officer says, you know, you're under arrest, they're not going to resist the police officer. They're just going to do what they're told. They're, they're going to be a Christian in their behavior. And the same thing's true for the police officer. You get the police officer saved, and you know what? This police officer is going to actually love the people that he's serving. He's actually going to care about them. He's not going to abuse his power. He's not going to, to uh, uh, be prejudiced against anybody. I mean, none of those things would be occurring if both parties were Christian and saved and born again and living like they were born again. See, you want to solve the social inequities, get people saved. Now, sure, we can go out and hold up signs. We can do that and be on the wrong side every time because both sides are wrong. It's not one or the other. Both sides are wrong. 
So I, I think God's side. <laughs> you know what? They can fight about that. Let, let, the, let the lost do that. <laughs> I think of Jesus, you know. He was, uh, he was going around and this man comes up and says, Lord, I, I want to follow you, but let me go and, and bury my father. And what did Jesus say? Very, very low compassion. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> let the dead bury the dead. You know what? You want to you wanna waste your time doing that? Fine. You know what? Jesus says, I'm not about death. I'm about life. I'm about life. I'm going to go and I'm going to preach life. You want to wait and do that? It's just an excuse anyway. He's just making excuses. He kind of nominally wanted to follow the Lord, but, you know, not if it cost him anything. You know, the same thing was true with uh, Elisha. <laughs> you know, Elisha comes and, and Elijah gives him his mantle. And, um, you know, as soon as Elijah gave, gives him his mantle, uh, Elisha says, oh, I have to do this. And Elijah's like, what's that to me? <laughs> I don't care. You know, he's like, I'm not calling you. It's, you know, you either do what the Lord wants you to do or you don't do it. Right. You know, and that's what it comes down to. Yeah. You know, it's not about those things. It's about following the Lord. They had great prayer. They had prayer that was in one accord. <laughs> said with one accord, they lifted up their voice to God. With one accord, they were all on the same page. What a beautiful thing it is when all the Christians get on the same page and just want to serve God, just want to do what the Lord wants them to do. You know what? They're not distracted by, by, by internal politics. They're not distracted by you know, getting the upper hand. They're not distracted by all those different things. They just want to serve the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. And when the prayer gets that way, it's great prayer. Jesus made this statement in Matthew 18 and uh, verse number 19. He said this, Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, <laughs> we've been talking about prayer during the Bible study time. And here's another promise by the Lord that if two Christians agree on anything and they bring it to the Lord, he says, Done deal. It's a done deal. Thank you for joining us on New Testament Talk. New Testament Talk is a publication of New Testament Baptist Church in Manchester Center, Vermont. If you would like to talk with us in person, visit our Facebook page, New Testament Baptist Church NTBC. That's New Testament Baptist Church, NTBC. Until next time, this is Pastor Fred Roberts reminding you of the greatest truth of the New Testament. The truth can be known, God wants you to know it, and when you receive it, you will be saved. The truth is this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved.